Last week, we ventured into the world of the Old Testament patriarchs to examine the story of Esau and Jacob. In its telling, we encountered an intriguing family whom God called through his initial relationship with Abraham. Today, the story continues in the life of Jacob, the son of Isaac. Jacob was a twin whose brother Esau was technically the oldest, having been born first. Jacob was born seconds later, holding on to Esau's heel, which is why his name means heel grabber. Their father was Abraham's miracle baby, Isaac. And Isaac's inheritance should have gone to Esau, the firstborn. But Jacob grabbed more than just heels, and with his mother's help, he managed to swindle his brother out of both his inheritance and the formal blessings given by fathers to their firstborn sons. In short, Jacob was not the one you'd choose as a role model for your children. When Esau realized what his brother had done, he vowed to kill him. And Jacob left home for the first time as basically a thief on the run, heading north to stay with some relatives and perhaps to find a suitable wife until Esau could cool off a bit. On the way, Jacob spends a night under the stars. This is where the story for this week picks up. Listen for God's word to us this morning. From Genesis 28, verses 10 through 19a. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth. The top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he'd put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called this place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. 
Open our ears, O Lord, to hear your word and to know your voice. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills so that we may serve you today and always. Have you ever done something really, really bad? So bad that you felt like you needed to run and hide? I can't say I have recently, but I can remember some incidents involving toothpaste, baby powder, whites A&D ointment, hydrogen peroxide, and the bathroom sink. In my, I think I'll see what a chemist does phase. As a six-year-old, I knew what the word no meant. And I had been shown the bill for the plumber's visit before. But I just couldn't help myself. How could my parents not want me to experiment and test my curiosity? My mistake was being too quiet while I mixed and measured. So when my mother called my name, all I could think to do was run. Here we go again. Jacob was a man on the run not because of what others had done unjustly to him, but because of the nasty things he had done to them. Jacob was a mama's boy. He owed his life to his mother twice. The day she brought him into the world alongside his twin brother Esau, and the day she saved him from being strung up by Esau. He was deceitful, greedy, and cowardly, but he was still the one that God had chosen to bear the promise given to Abraham. Jacob was still the one whom God picked to be a father of a nation that would be known as God's people. Jacob was a punk, but he was the one whom God had chosen. So it was up to God to make something of him. Unless you're a deep woods camper, you've probably never experienced the kind of aloneness that Jacob encountered out in that wilderness. In the dark, on the road back to his mother's homeland. The encounter took place in the middle of nowhere, some 75 miles from his home in Beersheba, and another 400 miles from where he had headed in Padad Aram, the house of Bethuel, his grandfather, to find a suitable wife from among his cousins, but who's counting? Whatever safety Jacob's mother could have provided for him at home was a past memory. And whatever fortune his mother's family may provide for him is yet unrealized. He was alone. He was anxious. So far as we know, Jacob hadn't displayed any religious awareness up to this point. And he didn't seem to have a religious agenda for this trip. He wasn't on a pilgrimage seeking God. He had simply pushed his luck too far and had left town in a hurry. He was between times and places, in a limbo of his own making. 
As we noted last week, a central theme in the story of Jacob is conflict. And in this story, we're at, this perception is added to. This time, however, the conflict was not between Jacob and a human member of his family, but between Jacob and God. This was the first time that Jacob was not in control, nor was he in any position to direct the outcome of his journey. In fact, for the first time that we know of his life, Jacob was the vulnerable one. He was asleep. This entire meeting was in God's control. And Jacob could do nothing except watch and respond when it was all over. He couldn't resist or fight or flee or even consent. Yet it was here when Jacob was most vulnerable, with his past haunting him and his future uncertain, that God broke into his life. God intervened not to review his past of sin and shame, and not to pay him back for all of his underhanded ways, not to force his confession and repentance, but to renew a blessing and to speak a word of promise. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. This promise makes it unmistakably clear that God has been continually connected to Jacob in spite of what he's done or not done. God had not abandoned him and was still able and willing to bring hope to his darkest and most uncertain realities. Jacob's dream corresponded with the words of this promise of presence. Dreams were thought to be one way of communication between deities and humankind. In his dream, Jacob saw a ladder set up on earth which is with its top reaching to heaven. Divine messengers went up and down on it. The, the ladder was actually more like a ramp, an image borrowed from ancient Near Eastern iconography patterned on Mesopotamian ziggurats. These temples were formed like stacked building blocks, making stairways or ramps to the heavens. The gods were up there, and it was the worshiper's task to ascend to them. The stairway provided the means of approach to the gods, the link from the human sphere upward to the divine. But the ramp in this story Jacob's ladder was God's doing. Heaven meets earth because God has decided it would do so. While the ancient world conceived the movement in one way, from the bottom up, the good news here is we find God bridging the gap. God stood right next to Jacob and spoke directly to him. Indeed, the gap didn't exist at all. I am with you. I will keep you. I will bring you back. God's action reminds us of the power of the Spirit of God to reshape 
and reorient our lives as well. Jacob was not entirely a new person, but neither was he the same old Jacob. His life and ours can be transformed by the grace of God, and that same God will journey with us wherever we go. The vision of God at Bethel represents a reaffirmation of God's commitment to all of humankind. And it stands as a model of the manner in which God works. The initiative lies with God, not with our faithfulness. Jacob contributes little to the Bethel experience except to say yes to the living God. And that must be our response as well. Some of us may have had experiences like Jacob's. Others may not. Even if ours has been a week of variety, it may still have changed us, and we know that our former life is over. Jacob was no longer a scoundrel, but a man on his way to becoming Israel. And we are no less. We are now the carriers of God's promise, just as Jacob was, and we are given the same promise to sustain us as God gave to Jacob. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Say it with me. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. This promise resounds through the Bible to all people whom God calls and empowers. To Abraham, I will establish my covenant to be God to you. To Moses, I will be with you. To Jeremiah, for I am with you to deliver you. And to Christ's disciples, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that God is with us and that our lives will not be the same. Yet at the same time, we wonder how we are to live out our calling. How will our lives become a living altar to the God who has blessed us to be a blessing to the world? Faith is such a private thing. I don't dare discuss my beliefs with my colleagues, even when they ask questions. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. But I can't teach Sunday school. I don't really do well with kids. You know, been there, done that. It would be better for the kids if I just did something else. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Go on a mission trip to Maine? I just don't have the time or the skills, and there's so much poverty. I'm not sure I can handle seeing all of that. Know that I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. Go take your child to college. Trust them to be an adult. Know that I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go.
change our Sunday morning schedule, but we've always done it that way. We can't possibly give that much time to worship and education. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Behind these calls, these challenges, these encounters with God, is the same promise of presence that was made to Jacob. Say it again. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The places and the times where we encounter God become sacred, not because we are holy, but because God has walked with us there. And God's presence has and will change us. These places will become the places where we see God most clearly because God is standing next to us. Ordinary and common places and people become sacred and our lives are renewed and reoriented. We are God's people with new understandings of who God is, of who we are, and of what we are called to do and to become. God is in this place as we come today to renew our covenant with the living God. The God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob is our God made known to us in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This same God will be with us wherever we go and in whatever we do in the name of justice and peace. We mark the spots along the way where we feel God's presence in powerful and convincing ways. Our colorful history and misdeeds don't matter one bit when God decides to call, or better, when God comes looking for us, perhaps even pursues us. May God continue to bless each of us and all of us so that we may be less of what we used to be and become more of what God wants us to be wherever we may go. Amen. <laughs>